This is a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of the advertiser. The opinions expressed are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of CKNW. Welcome to Dollars and Cents. I'm Elaine Scollin, along with Blair Manton from Sands & Associates. They're experts in helping you get out of debt. Can a creditor garnish all my income? So it's really important in this segment to understand what creditors can and can't do when it comes to wage garnishments. A creditor threatening to take your income can Boy, oh boy, feel unbelievably overwhelming and downright scary. But Blair is going to explain how wage garnishments work, how that process works in British Columbia, and what steps you should take if you're facing the threat of or an active wage garnishment. So let's start from the very beginning, just in case somebody doesn't completely understand what a wage garnishment means, Blair. Well, a wage garnishment, when you get that threat, it probably means you're going to have a pretty bad day um, because typically this is the most severe thing that can happen when you're facing debt. Uh, When people receive that threat, they often think it's an immediate thing. It's a done deal for sure. They're going to get my wages tomorrow. And oh my gosh, what am I going to do other than give these people exactly what they want me to do regardless of the cost to myself. So what we want to do on this segment is really just peel back all the layers. There's a lot of complexity here. Um, You know, in some wage garnishment doesn't typically happen overnight. Um, It's usually more of a threat than a reality in many cases, but it does happen. And if it happens to you, it can be quite severe and there's things to know about it um, and things that you can do to mitigate it if it's already happened or to stop it from ever happening. So anyone that's listening, if you've ever been threatened with a wage garnishment or might be you know, under that, that threat right now, be a lot of good information in this segment to hopefully help you sleep a little bit better and know that you do have some means to defend against it. Uh, so what we're talking about when we say wage garnishment, it's sometimes called a garnishee or a wage assignment or attachment. It's It's a legal court order that says to a creditor that they now have the right to collect a debt from you by seizing part of your income. And sometimes it's beyond that. It says you can not only seize the income, you can also seize money from sources that could include a bank account, um, an income tax refund, or your incoming GST, HST credits. Uh, Could be investment proceeds, could be rental or lease payments, or could even be an insurance claim. You know, benefits could be intercepted there if a creditor has a legal right to do so. So if a creditor follows the legal steps, um, they would have the right to intercept funds. um, And wage garnishment can be undertaken by virtually any creditor, including an individual that you owe money to. If they go through the right steps, they can have the standing um, to garnish wages. Uh, Very common consumer creditors, this is where we see just about all of the threats and those few that are followed through on are typically with individual consumer creditors like a bank, a credit card company, uh, payday loans or things like that. Um, Other government bodies like Family Management Enforcement, uh, FMEP, or sorry, Family Maintenance Enforcement um, in BC or Canada Revenue Agency and CRA, they could be collecting for debts like tax debt, student loan debt, uh, even CERB overpayments or EI overpayments and penalties. Um, Now, beyond 
wage garnishment, there's also a tactic called a bank account freeze, which is generally exclusively done by CRA. And this is a little bit less severe, but the impact is still quite drastic. A bank account freeze means that CRA essentially locks up your bank account. The money is still there, but you can't access it. And they usually do that to get your attention to say, okay, you haven't filed taxes in five years. Nothing that we're doing seems to make any difference. So we're going to basically cut you off from your funds. And then hopefully you're going to phone us and figure out why. And that can be a pretty effective way to get someone to file taxes, but obviously quite shocking to the individual. So a lot to know there about wage garnishment, but essentially it allows a creditor to intercept your money before it comes to you to take it to pay debt, regardless of how that might leave you in a very tough financial situation. Now, you talked about uh, Canada Revenue Agency and everybody else. So there's different rules. Uh, what does a, a, a regular creditor have to do to start a wage garnishment? And this is really important, folks, because this is where there's some time allowed. You get some time here to take some action. Yeah, the biggest thing is that nobody can garnish your wages unless it's the government. That's the exception here. But no individual consumer credit or anybody other than a government body can garnish your wages or seize any assets without a court order. So when someone phones me frantic, and it happens quite a bit, saying, you know, I got this collection letter, or this collector told me, you know, they're going to court today, they're going to have a garnishment order tomorrow. I'm telling them, you know, that is fiction at this point. If there's a court proceeding, you have to be served with documents. You have at least 21 days to respond. Um, you know, the courts are pretty good in BC, but they're not that good. You get in there the next day after you apply. There's typically a delay of, call it a couple of months, where someone sees this coming before. So before a creditor can actually garnish your wages, they actually need two court orders. So the first is a court judgment against you called a payment order. And all this does is it confirms that you actually owe the debt. So I tell folks, you know, you generally want to show up to these things. But, you know, if you borrowed the money, you're going to lose the payment hearing because, of course, they're just saying this is a valid debt. Uh, once the creditor has this judgment against you, the second order is called a garnishing order, which then requires a third party who owes you money, which in most cases is your employer, to make payments directly to the creditor. And for every time the creditor wants to do this, they have to make that court application. So it's actually quite a costly thing for creditors to do. Um, you know, it's not the case they make one court application, they get your wages for the rest of your life. Um, oftentimes, they have to make repeated successive court applications, each of them with a cost. So if it's a very high income earner and they can see the value in doing it, they might do so. Uh, but folks who aren't earning a whole lot of income, sometimes the cost benefit just isn't there for a creditor to incur all, all of these legal costs um, to go and get a garnishy order. Um, what happens when a garnishee starts is typically your employer's payroll department is going to receive a garnishing order from the creditor that's going to tell them they have to withhold funds from your paycheck and send them directly to the court. Um, and then typically the, the creditor will get the money paid out of court. Uh, it's still possible if you're self-employed, you're saying, okay, well, I don't have a payroll department. I don't have an employer. I can't be garnished. No, it is possible um, that a creditor could get an action to go directly to your clients and say whatever money they owe to you as the person that provided the service, um, either some percentage or all of it um, can be redirected to the creditor. So they can garnish from your clients as well. Um, you know, a garnishee can continually be renewed until either uh, the debt is paid off in full or until someone takes some drastic steps to have it adjusted. And a couple things that you can do is you can apply to court to say that whatever amount that they've allowed, and typically it's, you know, 30% of your wages, saying, well, that's just not okay. That puts me into undue hardship and the court might see, see some wisdom in that. Um, or filing a formal proceeding, either a bankruptcy or a proposal, um, those stop garnishees dead in their tracks. So it basically stops this proceeding at any point that it's at. 
So if you already know that you want to take some action, give Sands & Associates a call. It's 1-800-661-3030. It's a toll-free number. And they'll help you figure out your next steps when dealing with your debt situation. How much of the, your income can a creditor take, Blair? Yeah, in most cases in BC, it's 30% of your net income after your payroll deductions um, could be garnished, um, but it can vary from province to province. So in BC, it's around 30%, um, but there can be some exceptions to this. So Canada Revenue Agency, um, as I was mentioning before, they can shortcut many of the things that I've just described to you. They don't need to apply to court. They don't have to get the garnishing order. Um, they can just decide to start um, garnishing wages very quickly. Usually they don't do it with no notice to you, um, but it is possible you might be surprised by a garnishy order from CRA uh, if you haven't been, you know, answering the mail, answering the phone and things like that. So any provincial limits like the 30% in BC, that doesn't apply to Canada Revenue Agency. It also doesn't apply to family maintenance enforcement. So things for support uh, or alimony, um, those aren't limited to just 30% of your income. Um, up to 100% of income earned through self-employment can be garnished. So what we talked about a requirement to pay where they go to your clients and say, instead of paying you, um, pay the creditor instead, that's typically at 100%. Um, government income, things like CPP, OAS, um, GIS, employment insurance, social assistance, those are typically safe from being garnished. So first off, it'd be very rare for a creditor to decide to sue somebody if they're just receiving, you know, social assistance or government benefits. You know, they'd likely be laughed out of court. Uh, but the exception to that is Canada Revenue Agency. And I've seen Canada Revenue Agency take up to 100% of someone's pension income because there was a significant tax debt the person hasn't dealt with in a long time. And I was, you know, thinking, well, how do they expect the person to live? And the answer is they expect this garnishee is going to push the person to take some steps. They don't expect to have a percent garnishy until they're paid off. They just need to get something moving forward. So they really take the drastic step of cutting off the income and really forcing the person to take something to deal against the garnishy. So, and just a quick little question here. What happens if it's everything is in joint accounts? How does that impact somebody, a CRA or anyone else taking action? Yeah, that's, that's a really good question. We get that a lot. So if it's a standard creditor, not CRA, and have, they have to apply to court, um, they would need to have a judgment against both account holders for them to be able to garnish you that money. So if just a husband and wife, money's in the joint account and only one person owes the debt, quite often the creditor would not be successful in getting money uh, and getting a garnishing order to seize from the bank account. They would probably just try to seize wages from the person who actually owes the money. Uh, exception to that is Canada Revenue Agency. Again, the government, they can write the rules, which way they want, um, they are able to, and quite often do, um, seize funds from a joint bank account. Uh, could you make an argument to them that the funds weren't yours? Well, maybe, but you know, good luck uh, fighting City Hall sometimes. So uh, just be aware if it's a joint account yeah. and it's a tax debt, uh, it is at risk of seizure. Okay. So what can I do to prevent any of this from happening or any of the wage garnishment happening? Uh, is there anything I can do? Even if it's already started, what are the things that I can do? Yeah, definitely a few things you can do. So, you know, one is you can apply to court to have the garnishing order set aside. It basically means that it's released. If you can prove to the court that the order is causing you serious financial hardship, 
or that it's not necessary to ensure the payment of the debt. Um, kind of a, a two-part test there. Um, you can also ask the registrar or the court official to increase the amount of your wages that are exempt. So in the province of BC, they can take 30%, which means 70% are typically exempt. You could say, well, let's increase that to 90. You know, I've, I'm willing to, to proceed. I know I owe this money, but I really can't live if more than 10% of my wages are being seized by the creditor. So you can try to get the court um, to agree with you and reduce that certain amount of a garnishment. But all that does is just, you know, again, reduce the schedule, reduce the timing. It doesn't reduce the debt at all. You still owe all of that money. And what's important to know, too, is that all of these costs, when a creditor is taking it to court, uh, making applications, getting orders, serving you with documents, um, they're running a counter the whole time and they're adding those costs to your debt. So the debt might even be getting bigger, even though you're paying just a little bit by all of these legal costs getting tacked on top of it. What's the most powerful thing you can do if you've got a garnishment that's either being threatened or in place is to seek the assistance of a licensed insolvency trustee. So either of a consumer proposal or a personal bankruptcy, both operate to stop a garnishment dead in its tracks. So the day somebody signs off on either a proposal or a bankruptcy, the same day we send a note to court or a note to CRA, we tell them they're no longer able to seize any funds from this individual. If a payroll department is already sending funds, we'll let the payroll department know they can now give 100% of the debt back to the individual. So there are options. There is legislation that protects every individual. If a garnishment is happening, it shouldn't happen for very long. I sometimes have people that have been garnished you know, for six or eight months, and it just breaks my heart because I know if they knew about us sooner, um, they could have gotten a lot of help a lot sooner. So you can do something, you've got a formal way to respond, but you need to be aware of that and get the assistance of a trustee. And how you do that is give Sands and Associates a call and set up that appointment. It's 1-800-661-3030. Check out their website. You can also make an appointment through the website, sands-trustee.com. You're listening to Dollars and Cents with Blair Manton from Sands and Associates, helping you get out of debt. So we're going to talk about consumer proposals and... Some say it's one of the best debt solutions you've never heard of. And I always find that funny because, of course, Blair is an absolute expert. It's the thing that motivated him, that really pushed him, that inspired him to become a licensed insolvency trustee. So Blair's your guy when it comes to consumer proposals. Uh, it is one of the best solutions for individuals who want to consolidate and cut their debt. And it's without borrowing or added fees. So, Blair, let's start by explaining what exactly a consumer proposal is. With pleasure, Elena. And you know, I thank you for that intro because it's completely spot on. I'm convinced, you know, my best purpose in this life is to make people aware of this amazing debt relief option that can ease suffering, help you move forward, avoid a bankruptcy, you know, give you your life back. And people just need to know about it. So um, I became a trustee 15 years ago and I've been so thrilled that I've just seen the growth in the proportion of clients filing consumer proposals. When I first became a trustee, it was pretty close to 50-50. Um, then it was 60-40, more proposals than bankruptcy, 70 30. Most recently, it's 85% of people that are seeking the assistance of a trustee are not filing a personal bankruptcy in the province of BC. They're choosing to file a consumer proposal. And what a consumer proposal is, uh, it's a means of consolidating all of your debt together and then offering to settle your debts for what you can actually afford. So when you do a consumer proposal, all of the crazy interest on your debt that's moving away from you every month, maybe 20 or 30% a year or higher, that goes to zero. So by law, as soon as you file a proposal, 
holes, your debt stopped growing. And that's quite powerful. But what's even more powerful, in my opinion, is that you repay what you can afford to repay. So in some cases, you can afford to repay 100% of the debt if they stop the interest. That's great. But the vast majority of cases that we see, it's some percentage of the debt that you're paying back. So it could be as low as 20, 25 cents on the dollar, could be as high as, you know, 80 or 90 cents on the dollar. But in most common situations, it's around a third of the debt uh, payable over a term of not more than five years. So it's so important too, that whatever debt relief option that you choose, you're not on the never, never plan. You're not on the making payments for 20 years or something along those lines. Anything that you're going to do to get out of debt should not take you any longer than five years of payments. So the maximum term in a proposal is five years. And what's great is as things go better, and they often do, once you've got all that debt stress off your mind, you can sometimes increase income or decrease expenses. You can pay a proposal off sooner at any point uh, with no interest, no penalty, and just you know get it in the rearview mirror that much more quickly. Um, so who's eligible to file a consumer proposal? Any individual who owes more than $1,000 and less than $250,000, and that excludes the mortgage on your principal residence. So it's quite a broad range. When a proposal first started, it was up to $75,000. That was good, you know, 10, 13 years ago. Uh, they increased the limit to $250,000. Uh, it's possible to file a joint consumer proposal. So often uh, for spouses or people living in the same household or even business partners, if they're facing the same type of a debt situation, um, they could do a joint consumer proposal. Um, and in those cases, the limit of debt that could be included is doubled. It's up to $500,000. So again, huge amount of flexibility there. Uh, what's important to know too, is if you don't have joint debt, if it's say a married couple, for example, uh, one spouse could file a consumer proposal and have literally zero impact on the other spouse. So no impact on the other person's credit rating, no impact on the other person's income assets or debts. Uh, if the accounts are separate, as, as a matter of fact, um, then a consumer proposal can be done without any impact to anybody else in the same household. Um, and you know, a consumer proposal is often something that people feel a whole lot of pride doing. So they come into the trustee's office, sometimes they feel as though, you know, they failed bankruptcy is the only option at this point, uh, where a proposal is meant to be the win win, it's supposed to be the win to the individual is they avoid a bankruptcy proceeding, which nobody takes lightly. And if you can avoid that, well, let's try to do so. Um, the win to the creditor is a proposal actually gives them a reasonable return back where a bankruptcy might be a zero recovery based on the legislation. Um, when a person files for bankruptcy, a creditor might end up with nothing. They're quite happy to receive, say, 25 cents in the dollar um, as opposed to zero. And that's why creditors very often, up to 99% of the time, um, accept consumer proposals when they're filed. Now, uh, the next piece we're going to talk about are the basic steps in doing a consumer proposal. But you know what? If you already know that you want to take some action and it involves doing a consumer proposal or at least finding out more, give Sands & Associates a call, 1-800-661-3030. It's a toll-free number. Check out their website as well, sands-trustee.com. You can make an appointment through their website. So let's go back, Blair. What are the basic steps to doing a consumer proposal? Well, the most important thing, and if you take nothing else away from today's segment, is to know the only person that can help you with a proposal is a licensed insolvency trustee. So you can't file a consumer proposal yourself. Um, you know, if you phoned up the bank and said, hey, how was 30 cents on the dollar with no interest over five years? Uh, you know, you might hear them laughing from feet, feet away. They're just not going to be willing to, to work with you on that. You have to do a consumer proposal through a licensed insolvency trustee, a credit counselor, a debt settlement agent, a lawyer, a financial advisor. No else can help you do that. But what's great to know is that a licensed insolvency trustee is going to meet with you for free. 
So at Sands and Associates, all the meetings before you file a proposal are at no cost, no obligation, no upfront fees to get the proposal signed. Um, and once the proposal is signed, it's so important. We're going to talk about this a little bit later, but you're not going to be hit with any fees. So there's nothing uh, unanticipated that's going to happen. If it's a proposal paying off a third of your debt, and that's what you can afford to pay off, you're not paying any fees on top of that third of your debt. There's a government tariff that says once a proposal is filed, trustee is entitled to retain a portion of what you pay, usually around 20%, and the balance goes to your creditors, usually around 80%. Uh, it's all deducted from your one payment. So your creditors are essentially bearing the cost of you doing this proceeding, not you. Now, what are the actual steps to get a proposal going? Everything starts with a free confidential debt consultation. So you're going to meet with a qualified, non-judgmental, empathetic expert here at Sands & Associates. They're going to discuss about your personal circumstances. What are your objectives? What's the family situation? What does the budget look like? And by the end of that meeting, you'll have a good sense of what are all the options that are out there and we'll have potentially structured a consumer proposal for you to consider. And it's my favorite part of these meetings. Um, you know, when I sit down, we go through all the debts and we understand, okay, what's the person paying now and how that's really stretched in their budget. And then I often ask, okay, if we could wave a magic wand, you know, what's a debt payment that you think you could afford that wouldn't put you into hardship and that would actually get you out of debt? I've never had a single client that picked a payment lower than what a consumer proposal could offer. Most people just can't even contemplate that they could reduce their debt so significantly and have so much more room in their budget. So by the end of that first meeting, we're going to have a good sense of what a proposal might look like. Step two is if the person made the decision that they want to proceed with a consumer proposal, then we're going to work to prepare all the required paperwork for you. Um, you'll complete an information form for us. It's usually done online or it could be a PDF or, or a hard copy, whatever works for you. We're going to review all of that information together in a second meeting and say, okay, we thought the proposal would be 150 a month. Looks like that estimate is going to work. Do you want to go forward with it? Yes. Then we book our third meeting where we have all the official documents ready. You sign the proposal. The proposal is immediately legally binding once you've signed it. Um, all those three meetings can happen inside of a single week. Sometimes people do, you know, a meeting a week and it's done in a couple of weeks. Um, everyone's on a different path. Sometimes people really want to think about things and consider. So it's really at the client's discretion. We can work relatively quickly, especially if there's a garnishee or some really crazy creditor actions that are happening. If someone needs an urgent proposal, you know, we can make that in place. But it's usually people come to this in a very considered method really making sure they understand everything. Um, and I've gotten used to having people having their reaction. This seems too good to be true. Where is the catch? And trust me, I'm a skeptical person too. It comes with being a trustee. This is one of those things in life that sounds too good to be true, but it's the God's honest truth. This is what you can actually do to restructure your debt. How long does it take uh, for folks to pay off their debts using a consumer proposal? Or does that vary as much as the circumstances? You know, it definitely varies. Uh, the most common terms for a consumer proposal are between, you know, three and a half to five years. It can't be any longer than five years by law. It just can't be structured that way. A lot of proposals are for three or four years of payment, but where it varies so much is a proposal is open-ended. So it can be paid off at any time without interest or penalty. Mm. So you don't necessarily save money by paying off a proposal sooner, uh, but you do get it off your mind. You get that extra peace of mind knowing, okay, this is all in the rear view mirror. You can rebuild your credit a little bit more quickly 
quickly. So a lot of people do try to pay their proposal off sooner than the term. So it might be set for 36 months, but maybe after 28 months, they've just increased their payments and they're finished at that point. Um, what's important in a consumer proposal also um, is you got to make the payments and that's important, but there's also two financial counseling sessions that have to be attended. And these are more of a benefit than an obligation, really great information to help you understand, you know, what's the best practices for setting up a good budget? How do we plan for goals in the future? How do we try to make sure it's, you know, this is a one-time event where we've had to restructure the debt. So those two counseling sessions are so critical um, to performing the consumer proposal. <clears throat> In terms of how short a proposal could actually be, uh, some proposals are for a lump sum. They're for a single payment. So sometimes this happens where there's a family member, um, other family members want to support the person, they've gotten into debt, and rather than paying off that debt in full, they help the person make a consumer proposal for a lump sum amount. Sometimes it's as low as 15 cents on the dollar. And if it's paid by a third party, you know, even though it's a relatively low proposal at you know, a 15% recovery, if that person filed for bankruptcy, the creditors would get zero, which means they're still probably likely willing to accept a 15% recovery, especially if it's paid quickly. So the reason I discovered about proposals is I had a situation very similar to that. A close family member got into trouble with debt and all the family got together to try to help the person, um, you know, let's pay off the debt and you can pay us back at no interest. I wish we had known about a proposal. We could have offered a lump sum, save the family a whole lot of money, and the person would have gotten some counseling along the way too that probably would have helped them as they moved forward with their financial skills. So uh, in the last minute and a half or so, the question was going to be, how does a consumer proposal compare to other debt management options? And you can probably boil that down into a couple of sentences, right, Blair? I mean, mm -hmm. it's pretty clear consumer proposals are very different uh, than the other options that folks are, are used to hearing about every day. Oh, for sure. Yeah, consumer proposal, um, the most important things about it is you stop the interest and you cut the debt. So other things that you might hear about, a consolidation loan, well, you're gonna pay interest. Hopefully it's a lower interest than what you're paying, but it's still going to be something. Even if it's a credit counseling plan, you might pay zero interest, but you're still paying 100% of that debt back and you can't do anything with government debt in those situations. A proposal can include all of your debt to every source that you have, regardless of whether it's government or not, and it reduces the debt down to what you can afford. That's just so powerful. Uh, a proposal gives you the same legal protection as a bankruptcy proceeding would do. Um, so you don't have to deal with collection calls. You can't be sued. You can't be harassed. Your trustee steps in like a referee and forces the rules of the game, which are as long as you're paying this proposal, you have to be left the heck alone um, to basically get on with your life at that point. Uh, and the final thing, a big hesitation is, you know, people think this is going to be seriously bad for their credit and they're never going to recover. Anytime you don't pay your debts in full, your credit is going to take a hit. So even just getting down to zero interest on credit counseling, your credit's going to take a hit, but it is something you can recover from. Generally, just even a couple years after a proposal, people have far better credit than when they began. Here's what you actually need to know to move forward right now. This is the number for Sands & Associates. They have offices all over British Columbia. It's 1-800-661-3030. Or you can go to the website, sands-trustee.com. Make an appointment. Read more if you need to read more. But take some action. 1-800-661-3030. So, Blair, is this a question that lots of people have? If they qualify for any kind of debt relief? 
Well, absolutely, Elaine, because a lot of the time, you know, people really suffer in debt for far too long. And as we do our research, we figure out they just don't know where to turn for help. They don't know the remedies that are available to them, um, or they have a misconception that, okay, these remedies might be available, but they don't apply to my situation. You know, I'm uh, everyone is unique, of course, and people often can, you know, self-disqualify themselves from a remedy that they might not know enough about to know it actually does work well for them. Yeah, that makes sense to me. Oh, no, that's not me. That's not me. Oh, well, I guess mm -hmm. I'll just try to figure out something on my own. So that's where we come to you being a licensed insolvency trustee. Uh, can you just explain a little bit about what you do so folks really understand if, it, if, if what you do is applicable to them? Well, certainly. So a licensed insolvency trustee for anybody that's suffering with debt, um, a trustee is your best ally to help you figure out a way to move forward, put all the debt behind you and start to, you know, live a, a better life again and perhaps, you know, build some financial success again in the future. So what a trustee will do is we'll give you unbiased, qualified assistance um, in resolving any debt problem that you're having. Uh, we're the only professionals that are legally empowered and endorsed by the federal government to help Canadians ma uh, manage their debt. A lot of Canadians think that, you know, bankruptcy is all that a trustee does, but bankruptcy is really the last resort. And a trustee is the best person to help you avoid a bankruptcy. You know, to the extent of 85% of the people that we see at Sands and Associates that phone us up, book a consultation, 85% um, of the time, they're not filing a bankruptcy at all. They're often doing a consumer proposal or even finding other alternatives that might not involve us formally. But it's generally, it's not only a bankruptcy is what a trustee can help with. And what's so important to know is that the the laws and the statutes around personal debt and finances, they're not simple. They're, they're quite complex. They're ever changing. And, you know, even a lawyer, even a financial planner, an insurance advisor, unless it's your exact focus of being on top of debt, which is what exactly a trustee does, you know, it's quite, uh, quite possible that you might have someone in your life that you think is very financially sophisticated. But, you know, there's so many things that can change with debt and credit in short periods of time to make sure you're getting the best advice possible. You want to go straight to a licensed insolvency trust. And what's the best part about the whole thing is it costs you nothing to figure this stuff out. So to sit down with a trustee, it's at no charge, that no obligation, guaranteed you're going to feel a whole lot better after that meeting, because if nothing else, you're going to know a whole lot more than when you walked in the door, ideally. So uh, let's start then at the very beginning. How much debt would someone need to have uh, and the other qualifiers that need to be met for someone to come into your office, not just sit down, because like you said, the advice mm -hmm. and information is free, but to actually get you to go to work for them? Where, where do we start? Yeah, first off, let's start by what is not a requirement. It's not a requirement that, you know, you've been sued for your debts, you're being chased all around the world, you know, collectors are calling you 200 times a day. You don't have to wait for things to get that dire for you to reach out for help. In fact, upwards of 70% of people that end up seeing a trustee and perhaps filing a consumer proposal or a personal bankruptcy, they may have never missed a payment. Their credit rating could actually be great. So it's not the case that, you know, you got perfect credit means that you don't need any help with your debt. Quite often, a lot of people have perfect credit credit, but they've got a huge balance of debt that they're just treading water and making minimum payments on um, and not moving forward on. Now, on the other side, we, of course, we do help people that, you know, are really in the eye of the storm. So if someone is facing escalating creditor actions, maybe serious tactics like a wage garnishment, um, asset seizures, um, we'll help those folks right away. Of course, 
that's a very urgent situation, we can put a stop to that. But really, anybody can reach out to a licensed insolvency trustee at any time to get information about dealing with their debts. You know, a couple of the key things that we do, and you know, each meeting is different. You want to see what the client's objectives are. Some people are just looking for general information on how you can efficiently deal with the debt. Um, sometimes you just need clarity about what are your legal rights and remedies in a debt situation. You know, who owes this debt? Is it joint? Is someone going to be responsible for this if I can't pay it? Um, maybe you're concerned about an urgent crisis or a conflict with a creditor. Maybe there's a wage garnishment or a legal action being threatened or already underway and you just don't know, you know, are all these threats real? What can people actually do to me versus what's just, you know, a threat that's supposed to intimidate me into doing something? Um, in some cases, people just feel financially stuck. You know, they're making their minimum payments each month, but they're clever enough to look at the credit card statement and it's telling them they're going to be in this for 150 or 200 years if they just keep doing the same thing. Uh, and then they realize, okay, we've got to do something different. Uh, and in some cases, and I see this a lot, um, sometimes with folks where they're just past, you know, young adulthood, let's say, you know, late 20s, early 30s, maybe they haven't been so responsible in credit use in the past. And they've just got a bunch of, you know, old debts, small debts that's kicking around that's negatively hurting their credit. And they just want to face everything head on, get it all organized, so they can start to move forward and start to rebuild from there. So a bunch of different reasons why someone would come and see a trustee. In terms of the amount of debt that you have, to file a formal proceeding, so either a bankruptcy or a proposal, it has to be more than $1,000. And that's a very low bar. It hasn't changed since the Great Depression almost 100 years ago now. So we don't do many formal proceedings for $1,000 of debt. But sometimes someone at $5,000 or $7,000 of debt, that can be as unmanageable as fifty dollars or $70,000 dollars of debt depending on the person's abilities and how they're feeling the stress. Um, so it's a pretty low bar again to come and see a trustee to get some help. The biggest barrier is typically just not knowing that a trustee even exists or having some misconceptions about what a trustee can actually do for you um, but they're on your side, not someone that's against you. I, I just want to throw in here uh, the website sans-trustee.com for you. Uh, it's just a, such a terrific site. So it's got so many good questions and really thoughtful, easy to understand answers. So, and and the next thing I want to ask you about as we sort of close out this segment is I think this is one of the um, places where Sands and Associates really shines for all the people that I've met in the organization. Uh, just the thoughtfulness that everyone seems to have when talking with clients and understanding your situation or anyone's situation. So can you talk about the basics of the consultation process? Yeah, essentially the consultation is where it all begins and it's what our firm is organized around. It's about being able to give somebody who's facing a tough financial situation that has a bunch of questions that need really good answers, being able to give them, you know, a solid amount of professional time. So usually it's about an hour that we book uh, with the objective of making that person a whole lot better off than when we started uh, by giving them options, solutions, um, clear, clarifying any misconceptions or misapprehensions so that they can start to move forward on a debt-free plan. So when you book a free consultation with Sands and Associates. Um, you know, again, we book for about an hour if we need the time. And we're going to discuss a few things. You know, first off, we're going to start with your objectives. You know, what brought you to us? What's been going on? Uh, what's happening? And what's your goal here? What can we try to help you with? So we want to understand the situation as much as possible. And then, you know, being debt free is often a means to an end. So what's the overall financial goal here? It might be, you know, to buy a house in a few years. We've got to get rid of all this debt, rebuild the credit. Okay, well, let's put us on a plan to there. There could be other goals as well. So we want to understand each person person's goals and objectives during that consultation. Uh, from there, we obviously need to know the facts. So what are the debts? Who do you owe money to and how much? Um, are they taking escalating actions against you? Is there anything we have to stop? Or is it still at the point where they're getting their money? They're just being patient, but you know you need to do something different to get out of debt. 
Uh, we need to understand your household family situation. So who lives at home? Are they earning income? Are they dependent on your income? Are there medical conditions within the family? How much is going for rent, food, groceries? You know, all of those escalating costs these days. Anything a trustee does is supposed to improve your financial situation, not put you into further hardship. So we need to understand the household and its budget. And then finally, we need to understand what are your assets? So many assets that people are worried about they might have to lose are perfectly safe, even through a bankruptcy or a proposal. So things like a company pension plan or RRSPs, you know, a vehicle of a certain amount, clothing, furniture. Again, people have some conception that they file for bankruptcy. Someone shows up and takes everything out of their home. That has never happened once in the province of BC that I've ever seen. Um, so, you know, a lot of these misconceptions get really cleared up in that first meeting. And that meeting, by the end of it, you've got a good sense of what are your options? What does the plan potentially look like for you to move forward without debt? And I think, too, I just want to throw in that all these things that people uh, that people feel, I think one of the most important things to remember is you're not alone. Like those feelings of shame, embarrassment, uh, unsure about the next steps, that's the kind of stuff, that's the kind of things that you at Sands & Associates really understand and can help navigate somebody through the system. Well, absolutely, Elaine. A lot of people think, you know, they're the only person facing a crisis. And in the province of BC, it's between 700 to 1,000 people every month, month in, month out, year in, year out, are filing a formal proposal or a bankruptcy. So you're not alone. There's some statistics that over the course of a person's life, there's about a 10% chance they might have to file a formal insolvency proceeding. So, you know, there but for the grace of God go any of us. And, you know, a lot of people are just one potential adverse event away from a financial crisis. So you want to meet that with compassion, with empathy, knowing there's a lot of hope for a better tomorrow. A reminder, you're listening to Dollars and Cents with Blair Manton from Sands & Associates, helping you get out of debt. We're going to talk about expert tips for paying off your debt. Uh, focused on paying it down? Well, Blair Manton is going to give us some good advice and tips for staying on track or getting on track with debt payments and getting to that debt-free place. So, Blair, if I want to prioritize and plan something, anything for paying down my debt, what are some of the key areas to focus on? Well, certainly, Elaine, it's, it's really important as you embark on a goal um, of getting out of debt that you set yourself up for success. And whatever plan you put together, you want to make sure there's at least two things, the two components of that plan that are, are completely robust and you can rely on. Uh, one is that the whatever payments that you're going to be signing on for, they're consistently manageable and affordable. If you're going to sign on to make a certain payment per month, you can make that payment each month, you know, regardless of the season, things go up and down, you're sure it's something that can fit into your budget. And and that second, that these payments are going to actually move you forward. So it's going to be something that's going to result in you becoming debt free, not something where you're on, you know, the hamster wheel of minimum payments, everything goes to interest, and you're just doing the same thing, you're making payments, but you're not getting further ahead. So both of those two components, make sure you can afford a payment, and make sure it's actually bringing you towards a goal. Um, those are just so important to keep in mind, um, as you're considering how to become debt free. Um, a couple points as you're putting together a, a debt-free plan, and you know, if someone's thinking informally, um, you can do this on your own. Absolutely, this is a good first step for someone to see. You know, do I need professional assistance, or is it something I can just, you know, uh, work my way through a debt problem? So it's great for everybody to start with the first step if they're concerned about their debt, uh, which is we call getting your budget aligned. So the whole idea of creating a budget—a budget doesn't have to be a chore. <clears throat> 
It doesn't have to be a restrictive type of thing that tells you you can't do what you want to do. What a budget is about, it's about being in control of your money, um, prioritizing the things that you really want and making some informed decisions. Um, so if there are trade-offs, they're trade-offs that you're consciously making, not being forced to make. Uh, a budget doesn't have to be grand or complicated to work well. Um, there's just a few key components that need to be there. And the most important thing is you start by mapping out your income and then where and how you think you're going to spend it you keep track of that and whatever method works for you and it could be as simple as a spreadsheet it could be a pad of paper you know people have various different ways that work but what's so important uh, when you keep a budget is that you actually revisit it at the end of the month you look back and say okay well where did i actually spend my money because that's where the real magic is is looking at well here was my plan um here's what life threw at me and how i reacted and okay is this a budget that's going to work next month are we expecting that type of thing to reoccur and adjusting that way if you don't adjust to your variances, you're not getting a whole lot of value out of the budget um, each month. Um, and the final thing, you know, one thing that's important when you put together a budget is, of course, to consider all the regular things you pay each month, of course, the rent, the groceries, all of that stuff. But where people often get tripped up is around irregular expenses. So the things we know they're going to happen once a year. So, you know, it might be a car repair and insurance, a tax installment, something along those lines. And if we don't plan for those each month, there's going to be some lump sum that's going to be required. Um, and if you don't have the money on hand, it's often a reliance on credit that can happen there. So, you know, whatever format works for you, the important thing is to have a budget, to revisit the budget, and then to make sure you've also considered those irregular expenses, which we sometimes call them the budget killers, because you could be just going fine. And then, oh, darn, I forgot to plan for the property taxes this year. And well, now I'm on credit, and that's just going to continue to escalate with interest costs. Okay. Um, if you already know that you want to take some action, uh, get a hold of Sands & Associates. This is their phone number, 1-800-661-3030. Of course, they have offices pretty much all over British Columbia now. And sands-trustee.com is the website. Can we talk about the rule of 60 as a, as a good way to sort of get a sense of where, where I am with my, with my debt or my budget or my expenses? Yeah, I love this calculation, Elaine, because it's so simple and, and it's intuitive and it's a really quick check any of our listeners could do. And it's a pretty good, um, you know, almost a gut check to say, okay, am I feeling okay about my debt or do I need some help? And what you do is you add up all of your non-mortgage debts. So non-mortgage, uh, non-car loan, not your secured debts, but things like a credit card bill, income tax, payday loans, you know, anything your typical unsecured debt to fall into there, a student loan, for example. Um, add up the amount of money that you owe and divide that by six. So if it's $20,000, um, divide that by 60, you know, your $333-ish, you know, is that something you feel that you could afford? Because if you're paying any less than that on your debts each month, you are certainly not getting ahead. You're just moving further behind. And if that is something that you can afford, well, then you know the only thing that's stopping you from getting out of debt within five years is the interest charges, because otherwise you'd be out of debt, but these guys are going to keep charging you interest. So then you can start to focus on, well, what are the tactics I can do to reduce or eliminate those interest charges. So it could be as simple as you approach your bank, you do a balance transfer to a lower card, if that's possible, perhaps you can try to consolidate things. Uh, for many people, when they do that rule of 60 math, they say, oh my gosh, you know, this is a number that I just can't afford to pay divided by 60 and certainly not plus interest. And that's when people gravitate towards something like a consumer proposal, which right off the top is zero interest. So the maximum you'd, you'd ever pay is, you know, your debt divided by 60. Um, but it's usually a pretty significant
significant discount on the amount of debt that you have because it's what you can afford. So it might be, you know, you divided it by 60 and it's a $333 payment. What you can actually afford is $150 a month. Well, by filing a consumer proposal, you'd be able to reduce the payment potentially down to that lower amount, which could actually fit in your budget and get you out of debt inside of the five years rather than you just keep doing what you're doing. You're treading water, but you're not getting further ahead because all the minimum payments, you know, roughly 90% of them in many cases is just going to interest cost. Okay. So I was thinking that the financial habits that, that you think is important for somebody to take a look at bringing into their own uh, routine to succeed. Should, can we just focus on those uh, as we mm -hmm. end out this segment? Yeah, the number one uh, financial habit that's going to inoculate you potentially against having a debt problem is to have some personal savings. And this is no, um, you know, magic here. Of course, if you've got a, a sum of money that you can rely on, you've got a whole lot more flexibility than being forced to borrow because every time you borrow, you've got to pay back more than you borrowed. And depending on who the creditor is, if it's a lender of last resort, like a payday loan, for example, you might be several hundred percent of interest charges, which can very quickly turn into a cycle. So what's so important if you're building up savings is to have a purpose for it. And, you know, a couple of key things, you know, number one on the list, I would say is to have an emergency savings fund. So, you know, going back to when I became a trustee about 15 years ago, you know, this was a best practice. A lot of people were able to do it, accumulate a fund. Um, I haven't seen a whole lot of people in the province of BC lately. Uh, perhaps their emergency fund got used up during COVID, which was a certainly an emergency. Uh, but this is something a lot of people have a struggle doing. But it's certainly it's one of the biggest goals you can have is to start, try to have an emergency fund that could sustain your household for a good three to six months. So if you figured out if I had no income coming in, what would I need to do to support myself and my family for three to six months? That would help you estimate what's the, the size of an emergency fund that would give you some flexibility there. Uh, you know, other key savings, things like a holiday fund. So it's always the best practice. If you want to take a vacation, you know, pay for it first and then go on the vacation rather than put it on credit and be paying for it years after when the memories have faded, but the debt remains. That's not too much fun. Uh, you know, saving for retirement is so important. You know, company pension plans are fewer and fewer these days. So it just becomes an individual's responsibility to really get themselves set up. And then oftentimes there's some big goals. So whether it's a down payment um, on a property or, um, you know, a car or some other type of financing, um, you know, saving some money towards that, being able to put some money down and not having to finance the whole thing, which of course not even an option in real estate, you have to have that down payment there. So just the goal of building savings, that's the number one most important financial habit that can really protect you against potentially having a debt problem. Um, I just want to finish this segment too, and, and Blair's the expert. There's no doubt about it in, in everything to do with debt and ways to deal with it really, really well. But I'm thinking if you're feeling stressed or anxious about your financial situation, that's probably the number one warning sign to take some action. And if you don't know what that action might be, then this is even better. Uh, to give Sands & Associates a call. They've got offices all over British Columbia. I'm going to give you their 1-800 number, 1-800-661-3030 for that first free sit down to talk about your situation and check out their website, sands-trustee.com. You've been listening to Dollars and Cents. See you next time. The proceeding was a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of the advertiser. The opinions expressed are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of CKNW.